Welcome to the Trochia Podcast Series. What is the opposite of wisdom? Right, foolishness. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And what is the gateway between wisdom and foolishness? Do you have a thought? I think it's temptation. Temptation takes us from possibly being wisdom for a moment down straight to foolishness. And today, we're going to talk about temptation. That's where we're going to spend our time. And James takes us there in chapter 1. Now, I don't have this on the screens because I purposely wanted to read this verse over you. Then we're going to go through it a little slower. Because I want you to hear first, and then we will see, okay? So I'm going to read to you from verse 12. Now, last week, Mike taught us from verse 1 to verse 11. And James, uh, believed to be the brother of Jesus, here speaks as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells his fellow believers who had been scattered all over because of persecution to persevere through trials. And Mike did a beautiful job of leading us. So what does that look like for us today in our own context? Then we're going to pick up where he left off in verse 12, where James sort of repeats this point of persevering through trials, and then he takes us into temptation, where we're going to be today. So let me read this over you. Verse 12, it starts like this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James uses one word for trials and temptations. The same word, all the way from verse, verse 2 through verse 18. He's using a Greek word that can be translated trials or can be translated temptations. The first 11 chapters, he's really talking about trials. We know that because of everything that's being said around that, that word. And it's talking about things that come at us unexpected, right? Illness, losses, challenges, And then he takes a shift on verse 12. He says, blessed is he who perseveres through trials. And now he begins on on verse 19 to talk about temptation. Now he's talking about the things, the challenges that come, not from external, but from within. Because the reality is we all struggle with temptation. And temptation goes deep into our hearts and affects every single one of us. Now, I'm going to give you a very simple example just to put our minds in this context because we all have sort of connections to things that are not good for us. So I don't know if you've watched this movie called Fed Up. Has anybody watched the movie Fed Up? Okay, you're in better shape than me because I watched this movie, and it's a documentary about uh, the content of sugar in our processed foods. 
Uh, Katie Couric put this documentary together, and it was absolutely alarming to see how much sugar is in all of our processed food. As I watched the show, I began convinced that clearly on my own personal diet, I'm consuming too much sugar. And the documentary says that obesity in the U.S. is growing out of control because of our inappropriate use of sugar. So I decided I'm going to quit drinking Coca-Cola. This is one of my favorite little things that I like to drink. It gives me energy. It gives me, you know, clears my mind. And I don't really drink that much Coca-Cola. I would say that I would have you drank five a week, not even every day. So I would have never imagined that I had some sort of connection to Coca-Colas. And so when I stopped, the next week I had headaches. I couldn't think straight. At 4 o'clock I wanted a nap. I never nap. You know, and all I could think about was going to our little refrigerator and grabbing a Coca-Cola. And it really surprised me. The thing is, although this is simply a connection to a food, in this case sugar and caffeine, Often when we are tempted, when we have temptations right before us, we may not notice them. They may be happening like I didn't even know I was that connected to Coca-Cola's. And it's been two weeks and it's been like hell. <laughs> you know, and going to restaurants, I have to think about what to order. And iced tea, I'm sorry, it just doesn't do it. It has the caffeine but not the sugar. And so today as we think about temptations, I want us to first, before we go into God's word and really dive deep, to take a quick moment and think, where are you currently feeling temptation? What is that thing that you might be struggling with? So I want to give you just a moment, a silence, for you to think about that. And then I'm going to pray for us before we start in our study. Go ahead and think. Lord Jesus, as we seek to hear your voice through your word this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we come before you humbled. We come before you understanding that temptation is something we all struggle with. And right now, most of us, maybe all of us, have a one thing that we know we struggle with. So Lord, we bring this to you today. That as we hear from your word, Father, you would help us with that temptation and that you would free us from its power. We praise you and we thank you because you are faithful. You hear our prayer and you answer. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So where does temptation come from? Scripture in James tells us where exactly it comes, where it does not come from. It does not come from God. Now, why would James do this? Why would he talk about where it doesn't come from rather than where it comes from? I think it's because in the first chapters, he talked about suffering and dealing with challenges. And what happens when we are dealing with a very difficult time? What's the first thing we do, right? We start to get upset. And oftentimes in that angst, we start to blame God. And so James wants to be sure, listen, when you are struggling with all kinds of trials and temptations, don't blame God. They don't come from God. In verse 13, this is what it's, he says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone, but here's the, here's the answer. But each person is tempted 
when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. You see what he says? He uses this word dragged away. It's kind of like a fisherman, uh, you know, fly fishing, uh, creates a perfect lure for the right fish. See, the word of God tells us that temptation comes to us from Satan. The very word means deceiver, accuser, murderer. Peter calls him a roaring lion. He brings us that temptation and he customizes it to you. He knows your desires. He knows your challenges. He knows where you're weak. And he creates the perfect hook to get you. And, and James uses this picture of the fisherman full, throwing out the, that perfect hook and then dragging us away towards him, towards his home, which James tells us is death. See, and he says that comes from our heart. It's not that there's... Um, he's saying that it's all those temptations are in our hearts is that our desires, our desires are the ones who get hooked away by temptation. And once those desires give, are given life, when they're conceived into fullness, we start to really entertain the idea, then out of that comes birth of sin, sin, an action that is devoid of good. And out of sin, when we start to sin again and again and again, comes death, death of things. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Why? Because it's full of desires that can easily be tempted. Think of the last time you were tempted. Wouldn't you agree with James that it starts out like with a little small thing, a small desire, actually may even start with an insecurity of some sort that then gets filled with a desire because you want to cover that insecurity or that fear or that challenge emotionally. And then something entices you that says, I promise I will take that away. I promise I will make that better. And then our desire for that thing grows and soon we start to entertain it. We take it in and then sure enough, we start to sin more and the more we sin eventually leads to death. So let me give you a simple example. A white lie. Anybody here said a white lie? Look, come on, let's see. we're in church. I have, okay, a little white lie. Sometimes it just sort of comes out because in the moment, whatever you're saying, you might, you know, you might be in a situation where you're feeling a little insecure or you might have some fear and someone asks you something and out, out of your mouth, you hear yourself saying thing that it's not true. And for a moment you think, well, you know, that was a little thing. It's not that big a deal. And then later you find yourself and you say another white lie and another white lie. This is what James is saying. When desire becomes conceived, it starts to grow. It gives birth to sin. We keep doing it over and over again. And now the white lies become a habit. And now we lie and we lie to cover our lies. And we lie so much we don't even know we're lying. We start to believe our own lies. It has now become full grown and it begins to destroy. We see that if we lie to our spouses, we destroy our marriage. We know that if we lie to our coworkers and our bosses, we might destroy and bring death to our job. Do you see the pattern? And I'm sure that if you live through this, you agree with James. Indeed, no one is immune. All of us really struggle with this. First Corinthians says this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you think, well, I don't do that, be careful. 
And Paul, even in his own words, kind of puts the picture in our hearts of the challenge we have. We want to resist temptation, but temptation is strong. Because why? It's a perfect lure for our desires. It awakens in us our needs, which only God can fill. But something else is promising to fill those. And so temptation is difficult to fight. And often we do the very thing we don't want to do. Now, I took uh, Paul's words in Romans 7. He rambles for a long time. And I kind of just really compressed them uh, as best as I could to give us a picture of his own challenge. Look what he says. This is my own edited version, okay? It says, I do not understand what I do, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, waging war. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue, me, rescue this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Anyone else agree with Paul? That's kind of where we're at, right? Uh, we tend to think that to deal with temptation, we just need self-control. Like, at home, I try to get rid of all the Coca-Colas, and then my husband came home from some event, and there were extra Coca-Colas, and he put them in the fridge. So now I have to exercise self-control. And we think self-control is all we need to deal with temptation. And we start to learn that early, early in life. And we start to practice self-control. Children are born rather impulsive, right? And over time, we learn self-control. Some of us better than others. I don't know if you're familiar with the marshmallow test. And it was in 1960s, 1970, a gentleman called Michael Mitchell did an experiment with children to see how they exercise self-control. And this, to me, is a beautiful picture of what Paul is saying. I mean, these are children, but I'm thinking you might find yourself in these children in your own struggle. So take a look at this very short, abbreviated video. Is that not a precious picture of our attempt for self-control? So how do we deal with, self, with temptation? Clearly, self-control is not enough. Let me tell you a little bit about the facts of this experiment. Two-thirds of the children could not wait for the second marshmallow. One-third could. And it was about 15 minutes they had to wait. They studied these children later when they were closer to 18 years old, when they were getting ready to go to college, and they found out that the one-third that waited, who could think in the future for the two marshmallows, those children had better SAT scores, like 250% better SAT scores, had better jobs, better opportunities for college, better uh, markers for success in all kinds of areas. The two-thirds that were struggling had a very varied uh, lifestyle, different kinds of success levels. And certainly we see in the story that there is a consequence when we don't exercise self-control. And I believe what James is telling us, there is a consequence when we give in to temptation. I think these are connected. So how do we do it? How do we deal with temptation when it is so strong that it pulls us to do things we know we ought not to do. And so, um, obviously, the Word of God says, listen, run if you can. If you can get rid of the Coca-Colas in your refrigerator, and I'm just using that as an example, whatever that thing is, if you can, run. That's a very good strategy. The problem is, you know, we can't always run from the thing that's tempting us. 
is sometimes right there before us. So self-control is not enough. It's a good tool, but it's not enough. Uh, A gentleman named Thomas Chalmers, he was a, a Scottish preacher in the 1800s, said this about the issue of temptation. He said, the only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it an object even more beautiful. Let me read that again. The only way to break hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it an even more beautiful. See, what we need to do is to fall in love with something else that's better, that's good, even more than the thing we're desiring. And, of course, the Word of God tells us exactly what to do, where to go, what to fall in love with that's greater than any desire that we might have. Proverbs, the book of wisdom, warns us about temptation and tells us where to go to persevere through it. Look what it says in verse 7, verse seven chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman, from her seductive words. Fall in love with the word of God. Here we see that term, the apple of your eye, which does come from scripture. We use it in culture, but it comes from the word of God which means to be cherished above anything else. Cherish the word, the commands, the teachings of the the word of God and love that more than anything else. That will help you. That will help you against here we see temptation as a woman, an adulterous woman. That will help you against that temptation. You know, I was looking up as I prepared for the sermon, I typed temptation on Google, wanted to see if I could find some pictures that I might use in the sermon. Don't do that. It seems that culture agrees with scripture because the pictures that came on, my, on the Google, on the image, mostly were of women with very little clothing. So even the culture agrees, temptation, we have this picture of temptation as this wayward woman. So how do we respond? I think we respond the same way that Jesus responded. Jesus loved the world, word of God more than anything else. He himself, John tells us, was the word of God come into the flesh. In Matthew 4, Satan comes to do his best work with Jesus, preparing the perfect lure for Jesus to tempt him. And he says, listen, you've been hungry, you've been out in the desert, and now it's time to take care of yourself. Turn a rock into bread. And here's Jesus' response to Satan. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He loves the word of God more than he loves his desire for food. So we fall in love with God's words. I think that's one of the ways we can deal with temptation. And our word of scripture tells us we will always have a way out. No matter how difficult that temptation is, we will have a way out of it if we seek it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. Meaning, any sin that you deal with, any temptation that you would deal with, hey, someone else has dealt with that too. It's happened. And God is faithful. He will not let you tempted beyond what you bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way so you can endure. See, it's not that God brings the temptation. He brings us a way out. And then we know that Jesus himself is our way out. Why? Because he suffered. He dealt with every temptation and he chose not to sin. He's the only one, only one ever to be able to say, I stood against temptation and said no. You see this in Hebrews 12. Because he himself suffered and he was tempted, he's able to help us. He's able to help those who are tempted. He really is our way out. But we have to believe in God's grace. We have to believe that he can help us out of it. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling with temptations, it's a very strong feeling, very strong emotions, very consuming thoughts. And you think, no one can get me out of this. But if we look to Jesus, he is our way out. And we have to believe in the grace that he has before us. Because when we are tempted, when we start to even um, allow our minds to entertain the idea of doing that thing, typically what happens is we are also filled with guilt. And in that guilt, we think we can't come to Jesus. Right? In that guilt, we might say, well, I've already sinned and I can't, he won't help me now. I've gone too far. But that's not true. He is our way out. And we have to trust and believe that he is graceful and he is full of grace to those who come to him. In, in Ephesians 2, this is what it says. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift from God not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, Christianity is not a works-based religion. Most of the world religions say you must be good, you must get your act together, you must obey, and then there's salvation. Christianity, God's word, Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way with me. I offer you grace, and because you receive grace, your behavior changes. You don't have to behave to be saved. You behave because you have been saved. And so we can trust in Jesus, trust in his grace, saying no to temptation, using self-control when we can. But believe me, there'll be a point where there's no way out but through Jesus. Sin, which comes out of our giving in to temptation, James tells us, leads us to death. And I know you might be thinking, well, you know, I I lied last week 10 times and I didn't die. But something does die. It dies in us first. And then maybe it dies in our relationships, in our work, in areas in our lives that matter to us the most. And yes, sin can eventually lead to a physical death. And certainly it can lead to a spiritual death. But we don't have to live that way. We can say, be dead to sin and be alive in Christ. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives us every day. He says, follow me. I am the way out. I am the way to deal with those temptations. You know, and some people reject this notion. Some people think, you know, this is what I don't like about Christianity. Right away, they start telling me that I'm bad. And in order to, you know, be saved, you know, to go to heaven, I have to say yes to Jesus, but I have to admit that I'm bad and I don't want to do that because I'm a pretty good person. You know, and I did that myself. I did did not become a believer until I was 40 because I honestly believe 
I was a pretty good person. And that, yes, I had made a few mistakes. But those mistakes, you know, I was trying my best. And that if thus God was loving, he would certainly forgive me. And, you know, I'd be okay. But at the same time, I wanted a just God. A God that would deal with the evil in the world. Now listen, you don't have to do much today to find out the incredible evil that's happening out there. Right? It's in our face every day. In the news, in the magazines, in the conversations. There is tremendous evil in the world. There's not one of us that isn't crying out for that evil to end. But if God is going to be a just God and take care of all evil, he has to deal with us too, with our brokenness, with our sin. And I remember the first time I read Deuteronomy, the first time I read the word of God and started to fall in love with it over other things in my life, I realized I had broken every one of God's commandments, not one or two, and not by a little bit. I wasn't as good as I thought it was. And I didn't even know how good I needed to be to receive God's grace. But what I learned over time, I learned that God's grace is sufficient to cover all of my sins, all of my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. And it doesn't mean that I go on sinning. It's that when we embrace and believe in that, in that grace, it, he begins to change our behavior. He goes into our hearts and begins to change those desires. You see, every desire that Satan uses to tempt us comes from our lack of understanding of who we are created in Christ Jesus. Those desires, their insecurities, their fears, their anxieties associated with our sense of being isolated and away from God. Those are the desires that Jesus can fulfill. Now, it, it, it could happen overnight, but it typically doesn't. Usually what happens is you say, I believe, you believe in Jesus, you trust in his grace, and over time, through the rest of your lifetime, he is working out that grace within you. And Paul says, grace upon grace, Jesus pours upon us. All along the way, he helps us through our temptations. And James ends this conversation in in verse 16 with these words. He says, do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits he created, created to do good works. When we believe in the grace of Jesus Christ, when we accept that we are easily taken by temptation and that we have sinned, that we have done things that we know we shouldn't have done, said things, thought things, when we believe that we recognize that we need that gift from God because we can't do it on our own. So I wonder if here today there are any of you who have never believed in the gift that God wants to give you. You've never said, yes, Jesus, I struggle with temptation. I have given in to temptation, not once, not twice, actually quite a few times. And I've tried the self-control way. I've tried the world's way. And I have seen it lead to destruction in my life. And I'm done. I need and I want your gift. I'm ready for it. If that's you today, if you want to ask Jesus 
for that gift, if you, and not even ask him, accept it. He is standing with his hands open saying, I have this gift for you. Are you ready for it? Do you want it? Will you say yes to Jesus today? If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something very uncomfortable maybe and very brave. You need to just stand up and say, I believe. Why? Why do we do that in front of everybody, especially in this space where we can see each other? Well, for two reasons. One is because you declare with your mouth. You tell those desires, I have something I'm going to love more than you. And two, because in community, we get to celebrate and support you in this journey. You don't do this alone. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to stand and say, I believe. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Now for the rest of us, those who maybe already believe especially, I feel that this message today has a word for not only those who stood and said, I believe, but for those of us who have said it a long ago, and maybe we're still dealing with temptation, but we're dealing with it the wrong way. What did we learn today? That we are never to love something else more than the word of God, which is really Jesus in the flesh. The message, the revelation of who God is and who we are. We tend to say, I believe. We tend to come to church. We tend to do the Christian thing, but we don't spend time in the word of God. We, we, delay, you know, we put it off. We say, well, I don't understand it. Well, I don't have time for it. I just want to challenge you this morning. I really believe the way to deal with temptations is to fall in love with the word of God and let it help us through our temptations. So I just want to challenge you, encourage you, find a way to be in God's word as often as you can. One verse, sometimes that's all the time you have for. Believe me, the word of God, it says it will never return void. One word, one verse, one little piece can stay with you all day and be used by God for the right purposes at the right time. God knows what you need. I don't care what method you use. Some people just pick up a Bible and read whatever page it is. Listen, some people say that's bad. I don't think it's bad. Read the Word of God wherever you land. If you like one book, I was just talking to a gentleman this week. He loves the book of James. Then read the book of James over and over and over again. It's still God's word. It's not one book. You know, we tend to read the, the Bible as just a typical book, the way we read regular books from the first page to the last page. It's 66 different books sort of combined together for us. And if we happen to love one more than the other, nothing wrong with that. I happen to love Deuteronomy. I know that's a little weird, but I do. So you do what it takes to be in God's word and to fight temptation with the sword of the spirit. And only then I feel we can be free. We can have the life that Jesus wants to have in us. We can be used by him for good works. And we can bring him praise. Thanks for listening. 
We at Trochia are committed to helping you grow in Christ. Please join us at trochia.org. That's T-R-O-C-H-I-A.org, where you can sign up for our monthly e-newsletter, find blogs, videos, Bible study lessons, and more podcasts, all dedicated to Christian discipleship. And make sure to like our Trochia Facebook page to receive short daily devotionals. Be encouraged as our Lord's grace and peace goes with you.